Did we end up commissioning that that lovely loon griffin we saw on the internet? We needed that. No. Responded yet, but okay, I can so definitely got, follow up. We need to follow up there because that's like one of those pieces of art that is definitely a must-have <laughs> to me. Um, I loved the aesthetic. I loved the elk legs with the loon head. Um, I loved every part of it, um, and it's really what actually what it's doing is it's really tapping into like I <laughs> I feel like there's a certain kind of business guy who like sees everything who sees all their work as like this mystical quest for meaning you know <laughs> and it's like they Where have to have like going? weird they have to have like weird paintings on their wall and they have like all these stupid inspiration sort of like business as religion you know what, what the kind of guy I'm yeah, yeah yeah anyway yeah. i'm becoming that guy but with and, half loon half white yeah, tail no, deer so i want like a, i want like a 12 by 12 of that thing on the wall <laughs> and when and when people come like visit the office or something i want to like have them stare at it and be like what is it what does the loon griffin say to you and then like when they don't when they don't give the answer i like i can like withhold you know, whatever work agreement we were getting. Like, it's, it'll become very a key part of my personality mm. that people interpret the Loon Griffin correctly. Sure, sure. Yeah. How are anyway, they supposed the to interpret the Loon Griffin? I think it's very situational. I, I think the Loon Griffin tells us something different each day, Laura. Um, <laughs> this is This is worth <laughs> mentioning that if any of our listeners particularly are, like, illustrators and they're open for commission – we're definitely in the market for some like bananas loon style art. Like we've, yes. we've had this oh, vision. Yeah, no. We've had this vision right. of like a loon in armor on its legs. Like, you know, with especially related to like D and D stuff. Yeah, we want. Yeah, that. or like, like romance novels, or <laughs> right, <laughs> like something. Right. We, we're looking for like some some fun art for December for our headers because. Why the I'm fuck? I'm sick of looking at the same bird. Yeah. I want the bird to take a new form. And also, I want to, as we continue in quarantine, I want to continue to slide into insane business religion guy. We want so, bird fan art, is the thing. Yeah. But, like, specifically, we want to, like, commission and pay for it. So, right. so. Anyway. Um, the fearless, the, I don't know, I don't have any other adjectives for you. Uh, Laura Zatz, say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. We're going to talk a little bit about the Twilight thing that happened this week. We're going to talk about trends in general in a way that kind of builds on a conversation we've had before on this show. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about some spec fix stuff. Absolutely. So we're at the beginning of May. Hooray, which means we've got three special episodes coming to you this month. We also just put some out. Yeah. Um, so be before doing, <laughs> before coming on this show and recording this this particular episode, we did ask Twitter, what should we talk about? Because honestly, we're scraping the barrel with anything regarding um, COVID. 
because yes. it's kind of a bummer to talk about that all the time. So we asked, yes. and a lot of people responded with things that would be really, really spectacular for our special episodes. Um, so I have written all of those down, and so we have them, and I think that we're going to address a lot of um, mostly kind of like etiquette and agent author questions for our third Flex episode this month. So if you're thinking, mm -hmm. hey, that would be really interesting to kind of get in a conversational long form, um, sign up for our Patreon for the first pages and the third special episodes in addition to the query critique episode it's eight dollars a month the query critique is three dollars a month if you are listening and you're saying hey laura that sounds super great i can't afford any of that send us an email we're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com and we will be able to give you access to those for free and that is yep. something that extends beyond um that is something that extends beyond COVID in this current pandemic. So that's that's always that's always a feature of our special episodes. If you whatever for whatever reason cannot afford or budget this, um, just let us know, and it's no questions asked. Uh, in addition, if you would like for us to critique your first page or your query letter, again, send it to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. So I want to start today's conversation with a letter that we received. It's not actually a letter. It was an email. Um, <laughs> an email we received from a listener specifically regarding the big vampire news this week. Um, so if you're not aware, Stephanie Meyer, who wrote Twilight, The Twilight Saga, which we've mostly talked about on the show in terms of how that was the basis for Fifty Shades of Grey, which was kind of Twilight fan fiction, and it was this whole thing. Um, so she wrote Twilight, um, and then she was working on a book that everybody knew about called Midnight Sun. Um, Midnight Sun is the same story, like the first book of the Twilight saga, Twilight, told from Edward's point of view instead of Bella's. Well, um, let's just say for various reasons, which we will get into in this letter, uh, that book has been put off for 15 years. And now it was finally announced that it's going to be coming out in August and everybody flipped their shit. OK, so let me read the letter and we'll talk about it. Years ago, Meyer had a rough draft of Midnight Sun leaked by a trusted beta reader. She was really hurt by the betrayal and couldn't finish the book at that time. Even though I won't be reading it and isn't for me, I'm happy the fans get uh, get the point of view they wanted all these years. But I have a question in regards to publisher agreements and literary agents and otherwise. If Meyer promised a book to her publisher and if her agent promised a book to her publisher, how long will publishers wait for a prop popular franchise? It took her more than 10 years to finish this book. I just want to know how she's able to keep the same publisher and the same agent this whole time. I know she's published other books since Twilight, such as the thriller novel The Chemist, but I'm just wondering if it's common for publishers to wait years for a book. If so, why? If not, why would they wait on Meyer and not knowing if she will, in fact, publish another book, Twilight Universe or not? Okay, so there's obviously a lot we can get into here about... Um, you know, we're going to talk about bringing this book back, the decision to do it now, all that kind of stuff. But I do want to start here with like, why wait for Meyer, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that's kind of the fundamental question here is how come, like, how can publishing sustain itself if we're willing to wait 15 years, however long for 
a person to finish a book that they have maybe otherwise promised. Um, so that question is maybe more complicated or nuanced with regard to other people. Um, it is less nuanced and complicated uh, with regard to Stephanie Meyer. And the answer to that is because whenever she delivers the book, it's going to sell a hell of a lot of copies. Um, yep. It's a book that, I mean, people are going to buy this, right? And like, and so, yeah, you know, if you're the publisher, or you're the agent, you want it to happen as soon as possible or whenever it was on schedule. But like, you're not walking away from Stephanie Meyer money. You yep. know what I mean? Like, that's just not, no one is doing that. Like, it's not in the cards. <laughs> There's a certain tier of lucrative writer or lucrative intellectual property or whatever it is that it comes when it comes and you're just going to adapt to that. You know what I mean? Like it's like publishing is not in the business of turning down sure things and like and it doesn't have like it doesn't have six other Twilights waiting in the wings to sub in, you know, and so I think that at least in this specific case. And I think the question is actually really interesting as it relates to other, maybe less prominent projects and authors. But here, the answer is that Meyer is of a tier at a publisher that if she says, I need a little bit longer, yeah, you're bummed. Yeah, maybe you got to make new plans, but you're not cutting her loose. You know what I mean? Like, you're just going to take it when it comes. Yeah, and I think um, with regards to contracts, so there is always language in the contracts that says that the publisher is going to, you know, upon entry of this contract, the publisher is going to publish the book within usually 18 months when the book is already written and sold, you know, yeah. from from its complete point. Um, right. There's also language in there that says if the author doesn't deliver, what happens? And so... Um, but the thing is, is like contracts are made to outline what it happens if the worst case scenario hits. Right. 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 So the option is, is like her publisher has the option and it has had the option for years to essentially cancel that contract that the book is under. Um, be, and they can due to the terms of of their contract. However, both parties are choosing not to because they both are in a much better position just in a holding pattern rather than saying, well, you didn't turn it in on time, so we're we're not going to publish the book. This is working for everyone. Yeah. You know, like no one would want to step away from this. I mean, I guess like if Meyer, I mean, it seems like Meyer's issue here had nothing to do with the publisher, you know, and obviously like the books did well the first time through. Like she has no real reason in this situation to want to go elsewhere. The agent certainly like, so let, this is actually a good chance. Like, so I've had authors, right. Who like, especially being someone who does a lot of commissioning, you know, just like we talked about on the uh, Patreon episode last month, go listen to it. We talk about um, what it's like to kind of commission and develop projects, which is another way of saying signing authors before they have a book ready. Um, and here, I think that it's, you know, you end up in these conversations sometimes where, you know, you sign an author, you've got a project in mind, or you've got a second project in mind or whatever, and it takes them way longer to do it than you thought. And maybe something you were planning to pitch in a given season isn't ready for that season all of a sudden. Or maybe they, um, I don't know, there's a million reasons why people suddenly can't deliver a book on time at the from on the agent to author level before a publishing contract, right? Like, 
you can, you know, things come up, you end up, you know, a lot of my writers are in academia and there's certain times of the year that get super busy, you know, sometimes obviously like right now, all of a sudden every author is at home with their children, you know, like people's free time has really evaporated in a lot of ways. Like there's lots of reasons why that stuff is in flux. And so at least from my perspective right now, like I don't really have anybody on the clock that I would be willing to just like cut loose because of a timing issue, you know, like it's something that I don't know, like to me, it's a much more human relationship than that. Obviously it's a different story when a publishing contract is involved because then there is a hard deadline that does have contractual obligations. But like between me and a client, like from the agent perspective, it's far less of a big deal, you know? Yeah. And it's, and I think people on the other side of, in a publisher contract, I don't think they quite understand how flexible all of this is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, I like think that's a good way to put it. Um, so, for example, there are multiple authors that since um, this pandemic started, I've gone to their publishers and said, hey, we need more time. And every single time it's, okay, here's what we can accommodate. And it's a conversation. And, like, technically some of those might be – then pushing that promised publication date by more than 18 months. But like, I'm not going to get mad at the publisher for violating the terms of our contract if it's something we mutually agreed upon changing. You know what I mean? Um, so that's less of a concern. But more, more than anything, um, I definitely want to take this, which is um, it's worth pointing out that Midnight Sun is the third version of the Twilight book that has come out. Um, (laughs) So for the 10th anniversary of Twilight, Stephanie Meyer um, published a gender-swapped version. So so where, yeah, so it was gender-swapped, but still from, you know, the Bella character's point of view, even though that that character was now a boy. Um, And now she's telling the story for a third time in... Uh, a different POV. It's like 700 pages long. It's absolutely bananas. But people are really, really excited. And there's something really interesting that I've noticed in the discourse since the announcement was made on like Good Morning America. Um, And people, people have been saying, oh my goodness, I'm so excited Midnight Sun is back. Vampires are back. (laughs) <laughs> and that is that that is that is a particular um, phenomenon I want to poke at a little bit on this episode. Uh, yeah. And I and I'm really interested in your thoughts on it. And it is even as you lay it out like that. One thing I had been doing in my head, as I have heard this Meyer news is, is it immediately clicked. Like, OK, oh, wow. Vampires are back. Like I was saying that to myself. Yeah. Already. And like what the way you just phrased it really kind of points out that. Actually, it probably isn't a given that just because one book, like, so, like, I feel like people, myself included, have sort of made that leap, you know, like, oh, here's this book, this thing now as an archetype or a concept is now totally back in publishing. And I guess it's way less of a given than it probably should be. And so, Laura, maybe I should just pose to you um, the question that I really think sits at the heart of Print Run. You know, it's been a running theme throughout this show. Are, are vampires back? <laughs> so, so I I want to say yes, but it has nothing to do with Stephanie Meyer. 
Um, Ooh, man. Yeah. Takes are flying today. Folks. Yeah. The takes are flying, Eric. They sure are. Talk me through why vampires are back and why that has nothing to do with Stephanie Meyer. Okay. So um, publishing happens on a pendulum, right? Like, because we're dealing with market saturation. And the thing about readers is that if they like a particular topic, they will consume multiple books about a particular topic, which is why you get the vampire trend and the werewolf trend and the witch trend and, you know, the superhero trend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but so, and so what happens when you reach market saturation, the books end up when there's too many books in the marketplace, um, the, the sales aren't quite as high per book. So then the publishers decide the, the readers don't want vampires anymore. And so they stop publishing vampires and instead they maybe try to do the mermaid trend or something else, or they just move on to zombies or whatever. Okay. Um, but it's kind of like a false thing because vampires have been really, really popular in Western canon for a really, really, really long time. And they never quite yeah. go completely out of style. Um, it's just like how the market is working with them. And so six-ish months ago, I started seeing inklings about editors asking for vampire books and there's there's a vampire anthology that sold and a couple of things with with vampires um and so that was really a signal to me that the publishers are considering vampires to be once more a good investment and so when stephanie meyer did her announcement saying you know it's been so long I don't, you know, given this pandemic, I don't want all of my wonderful readers to have to wait anymore for all of this. Um, that to me, <laughs> that to me um, is probably in her mind pretty true. But also, I think what happened is that this has been a book that has been dangled in front of us for so long. And I think that it's a book, I don't know exactly when it was finished, but I think it is a book that then kind of the, the publishers was, were, was, were being really, really strategic with how and when they want to announce it because they know that it's going to be a huge seller. Um, but I think that they wanted to, I, 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 okay, put it this way. I don't think that the timing of this announcement and vampires starting to trickle before this announcement was made is accidental. That is a really interesting point, too. Like, this is not... Everyone involved in this equation is too good at their jobs for this to be just sort of, like, suddenly the product of one author's feelings, you know? Yeah. Like, this is a coordinated effort, and a good one. Like, Like, I feel like we're talking about it like it's a conspiracy. But really what it is, it's like good publishing, you know what I mean? Like, this is... Um, it seems like the sort of thing that, you know, a trend is starting to come back and they sort of, as you're saying, like they've sort of picked a spot for this announcement for this book that they can use to kind of capitalize on. And what I think you're saying is really crucial here is like on something that was already kind of starting to creep back, you know, like this isn't a trend necessarily led or driven. I mean, maybe it will be now we'll see what, cause you know, you get a giant book in a category or a trend, like it does affect things, but like this was already happening. 
This yeah. is a response to something, not and the original thing. You know? And it's key to note that Twilight wasn't the beginning of the vampire trend when it first came out either. It was just the breakout yeah. book. Like the there was there were some writers who are really successful with how they were published in relation like timing wise in relation to twilight um and there were others that were a little bit unsuccessful simply because the 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 quality and the timing of the the kind of singular breakout book and so um a writer friend of ours was dming me right before this this episode and and he has a vampire book and he was saying well, it, should I? Is this like a good thing, a bad thing, or a neutral thing that this book that that um, Midnight Sun was announced? My my vampire book's a little bit more literary, and my take on that was publishing is probably going to go into this, and different parts of it are going to behave in a few different ways. Nobody's going to try to fight with Midnight Sun because they're not going to be able to, but. There are going to be all the other publishers that haven't done that, that didn't do Midnight Sun that are going to be looking for books that they can position in terms of that and then they can position beyond that. So I think um, if you have a have a vampire book that's shelved or you've been thinking about writing one or something like that, um, there's a couple of things that are, I think, the big takeaways here. One there's a good chance that your book is not going to hit timing wise in this particular trend cycle. And that's fine. Wait five years. It'll come back. Second um, is I think how commercial and for what audience your particular vampire book is, is really going to depend. So like if your book can play in the same sandbox as Twilight, that is going to mean very different things strategically than if your vampire book is very like literary and can play in the lit fic spaces because you're going to fundamentally be picking up on the 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 cultural vibrations and the interest of the of the subject matter but you're not competing or really going to have to be um be engaging as much with the twilight fandom which is a different thing talk about comp titles a lot yeah and one of the way one of the ways we often suggest using them, or rather, like how they are used, is to position and then differentiate. Right? If you want to have you want to have a comp title that says, "Hey, this is in this vein. It's like this," or it could be seen as a publishing project that is similar to this, but it differentiates itself and makes it unique in this way. And so, like I think what you're you know what you're describing here is sort of another expression of that mechanism where like. The books, the books that could really have success on in this wave are the ones that can say, yeah, no, it, it is kind of like, there is some aspect of this that feels kind of Midnight Sunny, you know, but it's a very different project. It's this other thing. It's, you know, it's Midnight Sun, but literary. It's Midnight Sun, but whatever else, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be these things that can use, that can push themselves. Like, again, like, all the publishing is based on like precedent and differentiation, right? Mm -hmm. And so like being able to like thread that needle of, yes, it's like other things you're seeing. It's part of a trend. It's part of a readership that publishing has identified in a given moment, but it also stands a chance of differentiating itself and being the book that someone might pick over the others, you know? And so I think that, yeah, it'll be interesting because, and this is kind of how trends change, right? It's like, it's, 
you have a book that hits and then you have books that are sort of takes on I'm not, maybe that's not right, 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 right way to put it, but you have books that feel vaguely similar and then those end up morphing into other things, you know, as the, the sequencing happens. And, but I do think that it'll be interesting to see what pops up around, you know, this, you know, this kind of big splashy book within a trend that was already existing, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. And I think we're going to get a lot of really interesting takes <laughs> in the next yeah. few months about like speculative literary merit um because you because i see i've been seeing a lot of people in publishing particularly who work in children's publishing or even not saying yeah. you know like twilight is super problematic or i'm not a huge fan but we need to respect it it made lifelong readers but people love it but 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 um, right. And so there's all these kind of caveats, which dovetails a little bit into a conversation you and I have been having offline over the past week or so, um, which is your growing interest in writing literary <laughs> speculative fiction. Well, so it's I think like this is more. So, yeah, I mean. I have been thinking about doing, at least in terms of, like, these next few months, and I think especially because we're all, like, sitting at home, you know, watching the paint dry, like, it. Do, I do feel right now this urge to try something new creatively, right? And so this, this kind of pivots into less of me being, you know, an agent and more of, like, an aspiring writer, right? So I'm putting on a different hat for this segment, I guess. But, like, it's... Um, I don't know, like, so I just finished writing the book, right? Like, I wrote this novel. Um, I spent a ton of time revising it, having it read and stuff, and I'm querying it now. And the last few months have felt, you know, since ending that writing, have felt pretty creatively dead to me. Like, mm -hmm. and, like, I haven't really even been reading a, a ton of books right now. Like, it's, and uh, definitely no fiction. Um, just because it just hasn't felt good. And I think like some of that is just the wider world. Like it's, you know, I'm not someone who, as soon as the pandemic hits, wants to read every pandemic book. Like that's not how I think and how I kind of like, that doesn't make sense to me personally. And so like, I've just been feeling kind of boxed in and that has sort of trickled in, I think to my writing, which is like, I've been trying. <laughs> so at the beginning of this year, from a writer perspective, I was really excited because I was done with my book. I was going to do all these things for the first time in like eight years. I was going to be able to kind of assess what kind of writer I wanted to be, right? Like I could, I don't know, I could write anything I wanted. I could, you know, experiment a little. I was going to write a bunch of short stories that um, felt, you know, just to like try things out to see where I wanted to go next what I might work on all while querying the thing that I had already written right it felt like the perfect situation to just kind of like be nice to myself as a writer cut myself a lot of slack do all this kind of stuff and I feel like through the first four months of this year the opposite has happened <laughs> where suddenly I hate my book I hate every story I start trying to write I don't feel I don't feel like I have a ton of ideas right now I don't feel like I am 
you know, it's just, it hasn't felt like this fun, unshackled, fruitful, creative period in the way that I thought that it might. Right. And so I think what happened the other day, it was like, man, I got to do something to like get my ass in the chair. Right. You know, because I do like, I am someone who thrives on repetition and routine. I know it's not for everyone, you know, write, write however you want to write. I don't care. But for me, like it is important, even when I'm not necessarily feeling super inspired to like make sure I'm sitting down and doing it because I can get out of rhythm pretty easily. And so I have been trying and nothing's been coming. And it just like finally occurred to me that like, just write something totally different. You know what I mean? Like do something that is so far from the same type of realist you know, I guess what you would call literary, you know, stylistic writing that I'm used to and just try something, do any, like literally do anything to <laughs> excite yourself to write. And so I kind of got on this, like, yeah, no, I kind of got on this spec fiction kick and I'm like, maybe I should write something that involves speculative element and, you know, or something that has a, something not real, in it, you know, and like, it was such an interesting thing because the first thing that happened is like I sat, I had my big fancy idea and I sat down to write it. And I am writing it, like I'm having fun. But the thing that has mostly occurred to me is that I just have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> in in this category. I'm I'm under read in it. I'm under like I'm under practice in terms of world build. Like any like I have never, I will never ever build a world, Laura. It's like the idea that I have to like do these things that I <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of new muscles, you know, and I am having fun. And I do think like it's, but it makes me, you know, it made me think a lot about like switching categories and both the exciting part of that and the, and the anxieties around that and the necessary work that comes on the creative side and doing that. And so like, I feel like for a minute, you know, you and I were texting the other night and I was kind of having these worries that like, you know, well, I'm pitching a literary novel right now, you know, this book that is realist. I mean, I guess it has some surreal things in it, but it's all, it's a realist novel. And, um, I was kind of, you know, worrying aloud, like if this, if this book, you know, finds representation and sells in the manner that I want it to, is it silly to then immediately be like, you know, to whichever agent I end up working with, to eventually say like, oh, and also the next thing I've been doing is totally a departure from that. It has nothing to do with this first book. It's very much a, um, it's a completely separate ballpark of activity, right? So that's, and, that's yeah, something, and that's where, yeah. That's something I definitely don't agree with because I, right. and, and well, <laughs> I think it's worth teasing out. Yeah. Right. So, so why, do, why do you think that it shouldn't be a concern for someone like me? And of course, by proxy on the show, anyone who's ever thought about like switching lanes or doing things like that, you know? Yeah. So I think I think the big thing in a lot of the ways where publishing puts limitations on things like vampire tropes, publishing also loves to put limitations on um on on genre categorization. And so uh-huh. What what that really means is like as an as an agent that represents literary style spec fic and spec fic style literary books. Um, what that means is that you very slowly end up like butting up against 
a limitation that people like set up a wall that mm-hmm. people are setting up as in this is too science fiction or this is not science fiction enough. But right. that it's it's completely made up and that line changes depending on what imprint and what person and like what day mm-hmm. of the week it is. Yep. And so like it's true that Eric, you're you're using different muscles in terms of the requirements of your story, in terms of background work and world building and character building yeah. and all of that. But like, I think I think it's a silly worry for people to have that as a writer, they're if they play in two different genres, that their books are going to be so deeply different because they're, it's being made by the same person, and right. truly, especially the difference between literary fiction and speculative fiction the line is razor thin when it does exist and when it and you know there are some publishers and some people out there who are willing to really just keep pushing and redefining what that is and so for me um you know and and eric as an agent you have a book that is very much like you're 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 getting ready to go out on sub with a book that very much is straddling those two lines. Yeah. And we've had a yeah. lot of conversations about, well, how can you sell this book? And I think the answer that we always come down to is you sell it in two different ways. Um yeah. and you, you tailor to who you're talking to, you know. You, yeah, and it's just the framing, right? It's the framing yeah. of how you're doing it because people like books are such big complicated pieces of art that when you have um when when you give it to somebody without any context two people might read it completely differently but if you go at the person who's looking specifically for science fiction and you say this is science fiction then they go into it and they're saying yes you're right this is science fiction and vice versa and it's Mm -hmm. you know and it's one of those things that i feel like is the the speculative fiction side of publishing is more open to to playing in that that sandbox in the middle than certainly, the literary certainly. side. And that, so I think that well that part is definitely true. That like <laughs> and I think what we're kind of seeing just overall is that and we, and we have done plenty of talks on this specific uh, dynamic before, but like genre fiction is where innovation happens right and what that means is like um that is those categories are ones that are much happier to incorporate literary elements that are much more happy to quote unquote become serious in a way that rather than literary publishing being like something oh well now you know we're going to bring in all these other elements and immediately kind of readily make those part of what we consider to be literary culture you know and i think all the time about Emily St. John Mandel, who wrote Station Eleven, yes. being really upset yes. that her publisher yes. puts speculative or puts science fiction as the genre on the back of the book. And her big thing was, no, 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 this is speculative fiction. This isn't science fiction. And it's like they're the same thing. Um, <laughs> please nobody tell her I I said that. Um, <laughs> and and like that particular like when you have writers and you have publishers that are playing in this space but they're not willing to to really open themselves up and and really like acknowledge that they're in that middle ground i think yeah. that's when 
somebody like you who has writer block for realist fiction is saying, hey, I'm going to write something which probably is going to feel very much like your normal writing, but just has like a spaceship or whatever. So fundamentally not that different. It says something that in your brain, when you sit down, you think that it's totally different. Yeah. I mean, and it's also like, I think where I ended up with it creatively is, and this is something that this is logic that I have applied to um, a different way I've often tried to write, which is emulation, right? Like where, you know, if I, like one thing that I think happens a lot, especially in like workshop settings or like, you know, collegiate settings where people are being assigned a lot of reading in relation Mm -hmm. to their writing um, is that you'll get assigned an author and you'll like that author and you'll sit down and, and the task is, okay, try to copy this story, right? Or this is what I think to do all the time. It's like, write, just like try to literally impersonate this person as closely as you can and at first there's this at first there's kind of this anxiety that's like well everyone will just know that i copied this kind of story or everyone will know that i was just trying to rip off this person's idea you know as an exercise and i think that where i usually end up with it is like you don't no one has the actual range to do that like imagine the luxury if you were able to just sit down look at a short story from a published master you love and said oh, I hope, you know, I'm sure worried that I'm going to write something that is exactly as good as that in the exact same ways. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's the truth is that you're going to try to emulate something and it's you're going to fail and you're it's going to sound like you instead, right? Like, you're going to write something that is in your voice and you with your concerns and your pros. And yeah, you've probably been thinking about it, but we're much worse copiers than we think. Mm. which is also which which is a great thing by the way because everything continues to just sound like you and which is i think a logic that you can then extrapolate to switching genres and stuff because like so if my big worry is well what if i write something that sounds completely different and i suddenly it feels like a you know these spec fiction stories are totally a departure from my other work the actual honest answer probably is that they won't feel like that at all. That probably <laughs> it's probably it will be very readily apparent to anyone who has read my work that this is also work that I wrote, you know, because we don't have the range we think we have, you know, and, and that's a good thing. I think like personally, because it means that these boundaries, at least in the terms of the way we think about our own writing are not nearly as fluid, you know, like if I, when I sit down to write, you know, something that feels a little bit more science fictiony, Probably it's still going to sound like me. Probably I don't have the capability of sounding like two totally separate authors who are also perfectly well-practiced in two different categories. Like, that's insane to think there, that I would be able to... There's something that I do... Like, it's an anxiety point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's something that I do, and this is a really good um, example of just how I feel like I, as an agent, have internalized this feeling. And I And to be clear, I work with tons of authors who split between genres and um there's something that i do right before we go out on submission where i said hey can you write me a few paragraphs explaining the plot of your book not like a synopsis but kind of like pretend you're writing a query letter it doesn't have to be good it doesn't have to be complete it doesn't have to be anything i just want your voice and so i usually have to explain that a bunch of different times to the writers that no 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 i'm not actually asking you to write the pitch for me I want your phrases so that my pitch, when I pull your phrasing apart, still feels like reading your book. Yes. And that's always something that we call out on the query show is 
I want the query to feel like the experience of reading the book. And that's the same with how I pitch books. And so it, I can do it from scratch based on like, honestly, just a really, really close reading of the book itself, but it is so much more effective when the author provides it for me and then I can just tear it apart. Um, and that, and that should be honestly, like that should be really freeing. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It's, we're just, yeah. No. So I think like where I ended up is like, one, there's a ton of, there's a ton of creative work to do that I'm very excited to do, which is that I need to read. There's a ton of reading. And this is true for anyone in any category, whether you're writing in one category, read in that category because you, it's <laughs> the most important thing you do as a writer is read. I'm sorry if people disagree with that. I think that is straightforwardly true that reading, reading, reading is how you generate your writing. And I need to do that in this category because I'm a little bit, under red not even a little bit very under red so i've been putting together this list with your help which is great um and and then the other thing is like yeah just worry less about sounding totally different and realize that the transitions the transition from one thing to the next thing in the same way that it's legible to me the writer is probably going to be legible to the reader and or the agent or the you know like these things are never the departures we think they are you know yeah absolutely well I'm excited to yeah. uh, shove about 20 different literary spec fic books into your hands uh, <laughs> once we can. That that recommendation thread was completely all caps. It was very, very aggressive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you all for joining us on this a little bit late uh, in the day episode oh, of fine. Print Run. Of You know, we... It's, you know, we're being, we're being flexible. It's fine. It's Tuesday. It's if it's Tuesday. come out on Tuesday, leave me alone. Yeah. We're fine. <laughs> Nobody's, everybody's just being super helpful with us planning this episode and just talk about this, talk about this. And it's just us who thinks that everybody's mad. So anyway, yep. thank you for not being mad and for uh, not reinforcing the, the anxieties we have in our own heads about this, <laughs> this show. Uh, definitely send us, especially Eric, your more literary speculative fiction recommendations and we will see you for our regular episode next week.